You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now present the Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. everyone and welcome to the health hub i'm kathy biasa your host and on behalf of our producer alex diaz at radio maria canada i'd like to welcome you to our show today's show is being taped so no opportunity for calling in please do follow us on our social sites we are on instagram twitter and facebook and we are at the health hub rmc on all locations and do feel free to email us with questions show topics um anything you'd like actually at thh at radiomaria.ca and please do subscribe to our podcast we are the health hub on itunes soundcloud spotify all of your favorite podcast platforms and you can also find uh recordings of our podcast on the Radio Maria Canada website, which is radiomaria.ca, and on my website, which is kathybsa.com. In the past, we have had uh, shows on food sustainability, clothing sustainability. I have an email series that's currently out on uh, sustainability within um, within nutrition and in the environment. Uh, but one area that we haven't broached on the show is sustainability in building architecture and, and that area of conversation. And it is something that is of great interest to me. And a new topic, something that I am becoming more educated on. And to that end, um, we have Dr. Dennis Sheldon on the show today. And he is going to uh, really enlighten us on how we can be more sustainable um, and future, perhaps future movement within the architectural engineering community on promoting sustainability within uh, the buildings and homes that we live in and the environment um, that we spill upon from our homes and our living spaces. Dr. Dennis Sheldon is an associate professor, director of the Center for Architecture, Science and Ecology. Uh, the acronym for that is CASE and co-director of the EBIS Institute for Energy, Build Environment, and Smart Systems at the Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute. He is an expert in the applications of digital technology to building design, construction, and operations, with experience spanning across research, technology development, and professional practice, including multiple architecture, building engineering, and computing disciplines. Prior to joining CASE, he led the development of architect Frank Geary's digital practice as director of R&D and director of computing of Geary Partners, and as a co-founder and CTO of Geary Technologies. He has taught at MIT and Georgia Tech, and he is a licensed architect in California. 
very well-rounded person on this subject matter, a lot of information and a wealth of experience that he can speak upon this topic, uh, that he draws from to speak upon this topic. Some of the points that we will cover in today's show are how architecture impacts sustainability and the environment, why are natural products not always best within this space, and how can we as consumers be impactful in this area? Really a really interesting show, a wonderful speaker, and I do really hope you stay tuned with us. Everybody, we will be back in a few minutes to talk to Dr. Dennis Sheldon. How great the chasm that lay between us How high the mountain I could not climb In desperation I turned to heaven And spoke your name into the night Then through the darkness Your loving kindness Tore through the shadows of my soul The work is finished The end is written Jesus Christ my living hope Who could imagine so great a mercy What heart could fathom Boundless grace The God of ages Stepped down from glory To wear my sin And bear my shame The cross has spoken I am forgiven The King of kings calls me are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. 
Welcome back, everybody. As mentioned, today's show is once again being taped. Soon enough, we will be back in the studio, I hope, and maybe at the time of airing, we'll be back in the studio, actually. Um, But please do follow us on our social sites. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, as I'd mentioned, and we are at the Health Hub RMC on all three locations. Dr. Sheldon, welcome to the show. Hi, Kathy. It's great to be with you today. I really appreciate your time. We are going to transition into calling you Dennis, as uh, we talked about this earlier. Such an interesting topic for me, and uh, so glad that you can donate your time to this. You know, I've done email blasts and shows on sustainability in the food area, in the clothing area, but transitioning into architecture and the environment and talking about sustainability, this is becoming a flashpoint of conversation across the globe. And for so many reasons that we're going to get into. But first off, I want to back up and maybe you can tell us how you transitioned from being a a digital professional into this world of expertise in the environmental and sustainability in architecture space. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Well, so, um, you know, I think, as with many people, you know, the environment ecology is something as a kind of a lay person, it's been kind of a, you know, a passion for me. Um, but as you, as you said, my background was both as a professional architect and as a, um, as a tech uh, entrepreneur. Um, I guess I'll, I'll mention, yeah, a lot of my career was, um, uh, you know, I came from MIT uh, uh, and uh, practiced um, as an architect, uh, went back um, from architecture school, went back to do a civil and environmental um, degree, went on to a PhD in design and computation. Um, through that uh, experience, I met um, a, uh, I guess, a fellow Torontoan of you, if I have oh. the right word, named, uh, named Frank Gehry. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, through my advisor at MIT, I joined um, Frank's practice as a kind of head of technology um, and then wound up spending almost 20 years with him, uh, first uh, working for the firm as the kind of technology lead. And then we did a spinoff company uh, called Gehry Technologies, which brought some of the advances on Frank's buildings to uh, the rest of the world. So my background has always been in sort of at the intersection of architecture, engineering, and technology. And then after we uh, we got the the company was sold in 2014, and then I, I got the opportunity to go back to um, to back to academia, um, and um, and uh, so I've been really working on this this question about sort of the digital transformation of the process of building, how you, um, but also how you can create different types of buildings, how you can break the mold in terms of what a building even is, um, but then also using technology to enable that. Um, And, uh, you know, about uh, almost two years ago, I started in the conversation with the program I'm at now um, uh, at Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute, uh, a program called the, the Case Center for Architecture, Science and Ecology. And it really sort of offered the opportunity to take this whole interest in technology-driven transformation of the process and, if you want to think of it, the product of building and apply it to this really, you know, huge looming question in front of us, which is how do we transform our buildings in our cities so that they're, you know, more carbon, uh, you know, carbon neutral, but also healthier um, and more, um, you know, uh, what can I say, create, create a, a smaller footprint, a lighter footprint on, on the natural world, mm-hmm. while we still, um, you know, go through the, the really tough challenges of how we, how we house all these people. 
um, and uh, and how we give them a great standard of living while we uh, avoid destroying more of the planet than we have. So it's been a great opportunity to kind of re-engage and I think something that's been a passion of mine my whole life. So sustainability has been a passion, as I was going to get to next. It's, this is something that you, it didn't fall into your lap. This has been a brewing as, as you've been going through your professional career. Yeah, absolutely. And there's been a lot of um, kind of forays into that. I work with, um, with Arup, uh, you know, probably one of the more, most prominent global engineering firms. Uh, we worked on low, um, low energy cooling um, and, uh, you know, the kind of engineering side of that has been a big part of this integrated digital building, um, you know, uh, design, engineering, and, and building. Um, <clears throat> so it's always been kind of a subtext of, of the work I've done. Uh, but again, now at Rensselaer with uh, the case center and this new um, uh, EBIS center, that institute that we're, that we're launching, um, it's now an, an opportunity to make that uh, kind of the focus of uh, the, next gener- the next era of my career. You were um, invited to be a part of a leadership summit by a president. Was he president at the time, President Biden? Was this a recent summit, the Climate um, a- Change yeah, Action? Actually, so, yeah, the, um, this, uh, this new center, EBIS uh, Institute, EBIS uh, Institute for Energy, Built Environment, and Smart Systems um, has been uh, kind of a, what can I say, a, a kind of a, a signature agenda for the president of Rensselaer, uh, Dr. Shirley Ann Jackson, um, and uh, you know we've been work we've been working on um, kind of preparing the launch plans for this new institute that will focus again on this topic of environmentalism, uh, technology, and uh, and better building. Um, and then she had the opportunity to uh, to give some comments at the Biden Global Leaders Summit, which happened in in April. Um, and so really it was her, you know, it was her idea, um, to, uh, to kind of formally launch, um, the work that we're doing, um, at the Biden, at, uh, President Biden's, um, summit on, uh, on sustainability. Um, and so, uh, and so now, um, you know, with that launch, we are, um, you know, we are moving forward to kind of build this program out. Such an interesting topic to discuss. Um, and, and again, as with so many interviews, where I'm not going to get to absolutely everything. So I really want to push to some key questions. Um, how is architecture tied to climate change and environmental uh, sustainability? And the reason I'm asking that is because a lot of people don't, uh, you know, that, that piece of the sustainability environmental uh, footprint puzzle is not really brought through in architecture at the moment. Sure, sure. Yeah, no, I do think, um, well, certainly I think there are many architects that have, um, that have a passion and a, and a commitment to that, um, to that subject. But, um, but, you know, some that, that have other, other uh, values, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, I would just start by, if you, if you look around whatever room you're in, you know, that, that's, you know, the environment uh, that we're in is, is the, you know, the, the, the man-made, for lack of a better term, environment. And um, architecture, and, and I would use that term broadly, architecture, engineering, construction, operations, all that stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the world we live in, you know. And um, I think um, maybe some of your, your, your uh, audience um, isn't aware that, you know, buildings consume 40% of all energy, you know, by humanity, uh, both in the building of them. A lot of what, uh, the, uh, you know, the carbon and energy 
uh, in the built environment is what you call, um, you know, the kind of the built-in carbon of the concrete, um, you know, the steel, things like that. And then a lot of it is also the operations, you know, keeping buildings cool, uh, which is going to be a you know bigger and bigger priority. Um, so you know, so the built environment is really central, and it, and then it's the footprint again of sort of humanity on the planet, right? Um, the built environment. So the built environment is you know is is a huge piece of the the challenge and also opportunity we have. And you know, just focusing on architecture, architecture is about sort of imagining that that you know that possibility, and then working with the rest of the team. To, you know, and the owner and the and the, and the citizens that will live in these in these um, in these buildings to pick uh, pick you know green materials to uh, to maybe rethink you know how we how we treat our thermostats you know those kind of things those are all part of the design of the built environment and architects you know in their way uh, kind of lead the charge in sort of imagining a, a better way of doing things. And are we talking about just the building uh, in particular, or are you also pushing for architecture within the environment? So building uh, buildings and also pushing out into the surrounding environment. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think that is one of the, the big transformations of architecture today is that, you know, um, you know, in the in the 20th century and maybe earlier than that, you know, you could think about the world in a very siloed way, and um, and we also didn't have the the tools and the information uh, to think more broadly. So architects did their thing, and they designed you know single buildings. Urban planners had a whole different sort of vernacular and a different set of tools, um, but it was very sort of um, what I would call kind of a blunt force instrument. You know, you impact the world as uh, urban planners through policy, you know, zoning and uh, uh, building codes and things like that. Um, but it was really too big a problem um, to really design cities um, and, and to understand that continuity from what I would say, you know, the, the, you know, the tiniest piece of material all the way up to the scale of the city and the planet. So I think one of the really exciting things for, for me about technology and information and is that we have the ability to conceptualize and, and to design at a very detailed level and then to realize um, interventions in the world that are much bigger than just you know, the single bit building. So absolutely, I see you know, virtually no distinction between the building, the networks of transportation and distribution of goods, you know, that, that bring stuff from building to building and then the broader, you know, the broader urban environment. Um, we got to think about that whole thing as a continuum, just sort of doing like a sing solving a single, you know, doing a little bit better in terms of uh, solar shading or, um, you know, or insulation at a single building level probably isn't going to get us to where we need to go. So are you hoping to impact current architecture or is this something that is really, you know, you, you, you've got a, a group of, of companies that have come through through their education piece and are producing currently buildings in a certain format in a certain way. Is it feasible to think that you can change how current architects are designing and fitting into the environment, or is this something that needs to be pulled up through the education system? And we're talking uh, years down the road before the impact happens. I mean, I think that's a really good question. I mean, certainly, you know, uh, you know, I have um, 
big aspirations about uh, influencing the world, I think individuals can, you know, can make big change, you know, so, um, uh, but it's good. It does take a community um, and it takes um, an outreach. And I would say kind of a network <clears throat> um, where uh, different constituencies can work together. And, um, you know, I, I'm not just focused on the architects. It requires um, kind of a consensus building and a, and a kind of collective problem solving mm -hmm. by, again, the designers, the owners who want to, you know, who are, are looking for these solutions. You know, they don't want to be, you know, the, um, you know, the, the, the bad citizens on the planet. I think there's a kind of uh, economic incentives, you know, uh, uh, you know, green buildings uh, offer a premium. Um, in terms of rental, in terms of, um, you know, demand. So owners are looking for solutions, but they need help. And then you have uh, building product people, you know, and, and innovators who are coming up with new, new types of materials, low carbon concrete, and they need help uh, spreading the word too. And I would say, I think this is something that academia, in my experience, again, as a, as a professional and as a, a tech company leader, um, there's a role for academia in kind of being the glue in the middle of this network that brings great, brings consensus uh, from a bunch of stakeholders, right? That's something that a for-profit company, you know, is not really the right, the right organization to lead. Um, I think academia, that's one of the key things academia can do. So, um, so you know, one of the key programs of this new EBIS Institute is, you know, an industry and professional partners network that will bring together architects, engineers, builders, owners, and then you know, tech companies and product companies in this network so that we can collectively identify problems, uh, solve them, and then, and then bring that innovation to actual real projects you know, with actual real technologies developed uh, in industry. So I'm really excited about that side of, of EBIS. It's something I've done you know, with a foot in industry and a foot in academia my whole career. And I'm really thrilled to have this platform, um, you know, with the kind of visibility at the kind of Biden summit level um, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, uh, you know, and outreach uh, opportunities like, like this show um, to bring that message of this community that we're trying to pull together at, uh, at Rensselaer. So in theory, in theory, the future architectural uh, company will be an umbrella in your hope for all of these under one area. So hand in hand, working from um, sourcing to design to implementation, all with under one umbrella. So you're getting a continuum of sustainability. Yeah, I think that's, you know, that's uh, certainly, um, you know, architecture firms are, you know, they're, they're often small companies um, mm -hmm. and there's a limit to kind of the bandwidth that they have. But I think one of the things that I've seen um, is this, um, you know, it's not a it's not a, a particularly wonderful, uh, friendly term, but this idea of of, of technology driven uh, disruption of industries, um, and you know, a lot of that sort of suggests that uh, technology can enable uh, smaller companies, smaller organizations to have kind of an, an outsized impact, um, a bigger reach into the world, if you will. Um, and so, uh, so I think, you know, again, all of these stakeholders, not just architects, but certainly architects mm -hmm. have new opportunities to not just sort of, you know, draw drawings and, and make designs, 
but can maybe also have, you know, a technology startup around some of the innovation that they're doing, either software or some some cool new um, building system, like a new way of putting together a solar panel or solar roof. Um, you know, those kind of capabilities of stepping outside of the traditional zone um, of the architect are, are affordances that are, that are made possible by technology. And I think that's that sort of entrepreneurialism is something we want to bring uh, to this uh, to this conversation around the EBIS Institute um, industry membership. It's 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 an amazing amazing push and it's an amazing idea. Uh, I want to get into affordability, but you know what? I think we we should take a break now because I want to give you space for this. So everybody, we'll be back in a, in just a couple of minutes to continue with this conversation here. Disappointment can't avoid the delay, but I don't have to make feeling down and defeated the place that I stay. Gonna rise to the moment, gonna speak to the waves, gonna push back the doubt that keeps dragging me down when I can't find a way. Don't need to see it, I saw
You are listening to The Health Hub, here on Radio Maria Canada. A Catholic voice wherever you are. To contact us and be a part of the show, email thh at radiomaria.ca. We now continue with the program. Here once again is your host, Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. We're talking with Dr. Dennis Sheldon. We're going to continue this uh, amazing conversation about a sustainable building architecture and so forth. Now, uh, just before the break and, and uh, you know, a minute or so before your last comments, um, there was a point towards cost when, you, when it comes to this. Now, with any big change in industry, there's that point where cost can um, be insurmountable for some. And actually what I'm, I'm hearkening back to is you were talking about customers wanting to have certain build in their home. And right now, what, what I see is when we see these green homes, they are built uh, off the grid homes. They're built by people that have a lot of money. So there is that issue of affordability. How do you approach uh, approach that when you're talking about uh, building and sustainability in the environment? Absolutely. No, great question. I mean, I think so. You know, this this is really kind of um, just part of this idea of, of built environment and building industry transformation. And I think to your point, you know, um, the way that and I'm, I'm being a little bit... Uh, kind of crass in my characterization, but, you know, the history of 20th, 20th century architecture, you know, and architects um, is this idea of, you know, the architect is retained by, let's just say a single family homeowner, right? Um, they're retained by the architect, the architect draws the drawings, the, the homeowner uh, builds the building. And that really was, um, you know, one of the main models for, um, you know, for example, the explosion of suburbia, right, in, in middle of 20th century, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess I would just say that, you know, that that model of, you know, the single kind of one-off uh, design for a specific building owner occupier, um, you know, is is problematic as you scale it up to the way that we need to, to do. You know, we're not going to be able to do that um, for billions of, of homes, we're going to have to think about a kind of a different way of creating great living and, and experience, uh, living experiences, um, you know, for people who, don't, who can't do that kind of single one-off thing. And I think there's just a lot of inefficiency. It's well, kind of well-documented in, in, the, in the, the studies about the built environment. First of all, the U.S. is, is, is uh, a horribly inefficient, horribly expensive place um, to do kind of major projects. And there's a lot of kind of question about that, why that is. Um, but I, you know, I think one of the opportunities is to think about, again, scale um, in terms of, you know, and, and, and one of the things I'm really interested in is this kind of increasing move to bringing the efficiencies of manufacturing to home building, right? So, um, and the, you know, increasingly, um, buildings are increasingly being, or parts of them are being built offsite in, you know, in, in factories, which are better for the workers, right? You're not have to, you don't have to hang from the side of the building. You can build these, you know, big parts of buildings in, in factories, um, and ship them to site. And, um, so there's this kind of renaissance now around transforming the kind of the manufacturing of the building of buildings to these kind of larger scale systems. Now, you know, of course, that can go the wrong way, um, and you can wind up with these these huge kind of um, you know car cookie cutter 
um, you know, uh, settlements that you see maybe, you know, in China, for example. Um, and I don't think, I think technology affords answers to that too, that we can create what's called mass customization, customization to fit the users while we still get the efficiencies of kind of 20th and 21st century manufacturing. And the other thing I'll sh sh throw out that's, you know, maybe more prag, you know, uh, kind of near, you know, near term, but we've seen this through the COVID, um, you know, through the COVID period, is this move to kind of tiny homes, you know, or, mm -hmm. you know, these, um, you know, what do you call them, the, the, uh, the grandmother unit in the backyard, you know, uh, building codes are being transformed to allow that kind of thing, right? And then you see these, um, these solutions, like in Los Angeles, where, you know, the homeless who are living in tents are now being offered these kind of small homes with a little garden and a, you know, and a, and a porch. And, and again, that's the kind of thing that manufacturing um, can provide in a way that you, you just can't get there if you do traditional kind of architectural design. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. Now, when we're talking about, so you brought up the point, and again, I want to uh, just sort of reiterate, we're not just talking about building, we're talking about uh, getting product, we're talking about production. Uh, I guess we have to talk about demolition, um, I mean, getting rid of debris. And the other thing that maybe you can touch upon is uh, with this push uh, by the wealthier people, the wealthier companies to sort of a more natural, sustainable living. Um, are we actually putting some of the natural resources of the world in jeopardy? Uh, you know, you want to get the best wood is, is, are, are we really sort of, is the impact going the wrong way? It's not always about natural product, is it? Yeah, well, you've asked two really good questions. And I think one of them, the first, let me answer the, the, the second one, the hard one first, um, which is this question about where materials come from mm -hmm. and, you know, are they in fact sustainable, right? Um, and, uh, you know, I think, um, you know, there are, I don't know, I forget who said, somebody said there really are no purely sustainable materials anywhere in the world, but we've got to understand the impacts of the materials from where they get sourced all the way to, you know, when they get, as you said, demolished and hopefully repurposed, right? So, so understanding and tracking what's called the supply chain, where materials come from, uh, what's in the materials, you know, sometimes the wood is sustainable, but the glue is, you know, highly toxic, right? We got to understand all that stuff. Um, and so understanding the, the kind of the, the journey holistically of these materials really is something that the Case Center for Architecture, Science and Ecology has been doing for a long time, you know, and we're starting to, I mean, for a long time, uh, Case has been involved in, you know, what you might call upcycling of, um, of uh, refuse materials, right? Actually from things like um, agriculture and uh, food waste, you know, so uh, one of my colleagues, Professor Alex Samas, um, is working on, uh, you know, new uses for, for uh, natural materials like hemp. Um, can we use that as even as an alternative to the steel that goes into concrete? Uh, hemp has, and some of these natural materials have remarkable tensile strength, so they can, they can replace steel. Another one of my colleagues, uh, Professor Josh Draper, is working with um, the, friendship, uh, the Friendship Company uh, to develop a, uh, uh, a recyclable uh, water bottle that can actually be used as kind of a brick 
if you will, in um, in uh, in in uh, shelters um, in places like uh, you know where where uh, where devastating uh, environmental catastrophes has happened. So, but we really have to understand that whole arc um, of the materials, mm-hmm. and uh, and I do think you know this this idea that. Um, if we build things kind of modularly, almost like a Lego set, you know, then uh, yeah, we're going to have to, you know, think about, um, you know, even like moving, moving buildings, right? Um, you know, as as the uh, as the uh, sea levels rise, you know, maybe we're going to have to start planning our cities, mindful of the idea that you know we 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 tend to build buildings as if. Um, the world is a static place, right? And at the end of it, we, we throw them away, just like we do with a lot of other stuff, you know? Is there a way of thinking about uh, buildings as kind of these, like a Lego set, that if we wanna move it around, um, that's just part of how we design and build things. So a lot of opportunities, but it is, it is a hugely difficult problem, even to get your head around. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's why better information, better tracking um, of materials, uh, and, and frank, candidly, better design uh, that's mindful of these kind of opportunities is, is really critical to the bigger picture. So you're seeing a top-down push for this from the academia and big corporations. Is there anything that the general population can do to push in the direction? Uh, and, and what do we, you know, where are the areas that we can sort of make an impact when we're talking about uh, what we're buying for our house, uh, how we want the design of our house, that we can do without breaking the bank? Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a good, it's a good question because, um, you know, you know, the world isn't really set up, you know, to, to give consumers great choices, you know, mm-hmm. um, and I do think there is a, for better or worse, a top down, you know, uh, a top down, we live in a kind of a top down driven world, but, um, but if you, you know, the internet is a great place to find information. Um, and lots of people are of course, renovating their houses right now, you know, we're pricing some, um, some uh, flooring for our house, you know, and, you know, we just, we just went through this for, you know, $5 a square foot, you can get something called Brazilian cherry. And, you know, if you hear the term Brazilian, I think you can, you know, that's code for, you know, for taking down trees in the Amazon. Mm-hmm. So that might not be a, a way you want to go. There are other building products like bamboo, um, which is a very um, naturally sustainable, replenishable um, uh, uh, you know, wood, uh, things like cork, you know, which is, um, you know, for hundreds or thousands of years, um, you know, people have been, um, taking a cork off of living trees and, and allowing them to grow it back. And there are certifications, um, for, uh, certainly for, uh, healthier materials and in some ways, um, for, uh, more sustainable materials, but, you know, uh, and the premium I would say on, you know, you know, Natural cork isn't the price of vinyl, but it is the price. It you know it's maybe ten or twenty percent more um, than the something you know quite unsustainable. It's quite beautiful, um, you know, and it's and it's a lot less than Brazilian cherry. So I do think um, you know there's the opportunity if you if you uh, you know if you are building you know it's never been easier for an individual citizen uh, to just you know look around on the on on the web. Uh, and get better information about the decisions they're making. 
So if we were looking at, so you're, you're talking about flooring. Uh, I have had a recent experience with a deck. And if it wasn't for the information pointed out by a very holistic uh, person that was designing it, it would never have dawned on me about off-gassing of certain woods, about sustainability. Would, would you have any questions that you can give to us pointed questions that we want to be thinking about when we are looking at, you know, just the common person looking at redesigning or furnishing. We Do we go sustainability? Do we go reusable? Um, mm-hmm. Do we just Google that? What do you think? Well, I mean, I guess that is that is a plug for, uh, that's an opportunity for, for a plug for the architecture profession, right? This is, this is what, um, you know, different architects will have different specializations. Um, and, uh, you know, you can, uh, you know, you don't, you, you can engage an architect in, in smaller projects as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and they may be also happy to, to, to give you some information, you know, so, um, but this is what's, this is in the wheelhouse of, of, um, of some architects. And if you are in the business, uh, in, you know, in, in the process of doing a significant um, renovation and you are concerned about these things, um, you know, uh, start that conversation as you as you select your team. Also, general contractors. You know, I mean, a lot of smaller projects are built by general contractors uh, without architects. You don't need an architect to design your deck if you don't want to. If you don't want to, and again, I think there are uh, general contractors in you know huge variability in in general contractors, but there's some really good ones out there, and uh, they can help you with these decisions because you know they. You know they do this day and night, right? They're mm-hmm. they're always um, uh, picking picking products um, and helping owners uh, make those decisions, and helping architects, frankly, make those decisions. So I think you know the first thing to do is um, you know what the first the first questions to ask is to ask um, your team um, about uh, about you know what they know about this subject, um, and then you know I think there are also better and uh, there are also um, what can I say, home product, um, you know, uh, sales outlets that are more and less or less informed about these things too. So, um, you know, I, w- I would encourage, you know, people to, to go and find, um, you know, maybe smaller, more localized uh, people that also can understand what's, um, what's environmentally sustainable in, in your city, you know, which mm-hmm. is, you know, there's a big difference about what's sustainable, of course, in Canada, um, than what's sustainable in, um, you know, in Europe or, or in, uh, you know, in Central America. Absolutely. Can you explain uh, to us what a building, a LEED certified yeah. building is? Because I think a lot of people associate that with the ultimate in sustainability. Are, yeah. there, are there two necessarily absolutes? Yeah, yeah. Well, I would say, you know, there's, there, there are people who, um, what can I say? Um, I wouldn't say that lead is the, the only answer and the ultimate answer. Lead is a, um, a kind of a scoring uh, card process where you, you, you score points um, for all kinds of, uh, you know, uh, carbon um, positive um, choices that you make in a building, right? And, it, you know, I mean, people, you know, it can be anything from, you know, environmentally harvested wood to, you know, in the case of commercial, putting, you know, putting bike racks in, uh, incentivizing different ways of transit, um, low, you know, low, what's called VOC, low volatile organic compound, you know, less off-gassing materials. Um, there's a whole spectrum of things that you can 
get points for. And based on the score of your design and your building, you'll either get certified at, um, I think there's silver, uh, maybe bronze, silver, and gold, if I have it quite right, um, or platinum, I'm sorry, there's also platinum. So um, there's three levels. Um, bronze, you can get very easily, um, and I'm mixing it up, but, um, but I think gold is, is um, you know, it takes a stretch and platinum is really hard to get to. Um, and some people feel that that is um, provided an opportunity for, let's just say greenwashing, because in a funny way, you can get a point for getting a bike rack, you know, which costs next to nothing. And you get similar points for putting in like, you know, a quarter million dollar um, high efficiency refrigerating chiller, you know, so, so some people have felt it's kind of a, you know, a blunt instrument again, for moving the dial, but I think it's been hugely transformative um, in that again, it's given building owners um, a way to, to, uh, you know, to spend their money on environmental agendas and a way to then, for lack of a better terms, sell those outcomes to prospective renters and buyers. So it really has been a great uh, game changer. Um, there are many other emerging um, uh, standards um, that that take you know kind of maybe more rigorous or different um, or different approaches. Um, but uh, but lead is um, has has made a big difference um, in sort of creating the market for sustainability in a way that was really hard to sort of capture before there were these kind of standards. So these kind of standards are really important, maybe more at the commercial level at, than at the residential level. Um, but it's, it's, if nothing else, it's, uh, I think you can probably just get that checklist if you're curious um, and see what, uh, see what the LEED Institute um, considers to be, um, to be kind of sustainable criteria. And the buyer has, this is something that the buyer has legal access to, the, how the certification was achieved? Uh, certainly, yeah. yeah. I mean, okay. this, all, this is all been doing, this is all done on behalf of the owner, right? This is a lead consultant will, um, will grade the design um, and then give you a certification and it's a dialogue. You can, you know, you can upgrade certain things in order to hit um, a lead level that, you, that, you, um, that matches your aspirations. So certainly it's, it's, it's open book. Is it worldwide or North American? Uh, you know, I don't, it's predominantly started in, in the U.S. Uh, you know, different, different jurisdictions have different uh, versions of this. Um, it's, not a, um, it's not a required, well, actually, I think some jurisdictions it's becoming required, but there are, there's other, you know, legislation that kind of has similar criteria um, that, um, that also, uh, set required levels of certainly energy efficiency, you know, title, uh, title 24, I believe in, in California. Um, you know, there, there are, there are versions of this that are actually codified in law, um, you know, throughout the world. And, you know, if you are uh, an activist, you know, and you want to do something in this space, you know, encouraging uh, your local jurisdictions to, to kind of up the game and what's kind of the minimum required uh, kind of level of, carbon or energy efficiency is, is a great way to, to kind of have an outsized, you know, impact beyond um, the choices you might make as a building consumer. So we, as the individual and the consumer, we do have roads that we can uh, walk to help improve sustainability within, 
within our own environments that we're living in. Um, this has been a wonderful conversation, Dennis. Uh, and, and unfortunately, again, as with so many guests on the show, we have to stop it before uh, it's been completely vetted. But uh, I really do appreciate you taking the time. Um, I wish you all the success uh, with your committees and your endeavors. And I think it's, it's such a meaningful place um, to, to hang your hat. So thank you so much for joining us. Great, Kathy. Appreciate your time and that of your uh, of your listeners. Wonderful. Everybody, we'll talk to you next week on the Health Hub. Hosted by Kathy Biasi, here on Radio Maria Canada.